This is a Together Church podcast, a place to explore meaning, friendship, and faith in Jesus. We'd love you to connect with our community. Find out more at togetherchurch.com.au. I would like to start with a pop quiz. And the pop quiz is this, how many times does the word Christian appear in the Bible? Who here has an idea of how many times this very important word Christian appears throughout the entire Bible, all through the New Testament? Yes. Uh, uh, Stephen? None. Very close. Uh, Anyone else have a guess? One. One. Okay, you just totally guessed, but you're getting closer. Michael? With Stephen, none. Interesting, Caleb. Three times. Three times. My son, I'm <laughs> impressed. <laughs> we, we didn't set that up either. Uh, so from my understanding, uh, the Greek word Christianos, which is translated as Christian, appears three times in the entire Bible. Isn't that interesting? We call ourselves Christians. We have Christian churches. We have Christian sacraments. Uh, We have Christian services, but the term Christian hardly appears in the entire Bible. I think that's fascinating. Uh, Here's another question I have. How many times does the word disciple appear in the Bible, in in the New Testament, just in the New Testament? Any idea? Any ideas? Caleb. (laughs) Lots, that's correct. The the word Bible, uh, the word, sorry, disciple, which is mathetes in Greek, appears a whopping 269 times in the New Testament. Uh, So there's Christian, used three times. Uh, There's disciple, used 269 times, which I think is incredible, and I think it actually means something. Uh, It it suggests that being a disciple is really important. It suggests that there is something significant, that there is gravity, and there is something central to what it means for us to know what it means to be a disciple, to make disciples and to be a follower of Jesus. Do you follow? Uh, And so this third talk, which is being better together uh, as uh, disciple makers, is part of a series called Better Together where we're exploring big topics and big themes of scripture, uh, mission, uh, community, worship, in order to discover what partnership looks like as we are better together in community. And we've explored what it means to be better on community, in community and what it means to be sent together on mission. And now we're exploring what it means to make disciples together. And of all the big passages in Scripture, this is one of the big ones in terms of what it means to be a disciple, a Mathetes, uh, from the Gospel of Matthew, known as the Great Commission. So these are Jesus' last words on earth before he ascended. Okay, this is, a, this is important. He knew he was leaving Uh, And they were his last words. So let's just, you know, the last words are important. And we understand this is the Great Commission because he is uh, giving us instructions as his future people, as his church. He is giving us uh, his articulation of our purpose and our meaning. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So firstly, we see that Jesus has authority in heaven 
and on earth. He is divine, fully human, yes, but also divine. He is powerful. He has overcome evil through his sacrifice on the cross. Uh, He defeated death by rising from the grave. And with this authority, he gives us an instruction. Go and make disciples. So he didn't command us to go and make Christians. He didn't command us to go and make church. I mean, they're not wrong. But he said, go and make disciples. And it begs the question in me, what is a disciple? And what does Jesus mean when he asks us to go and make disciples? It's a really important question. Can you see? Uh, You see, interestingly, disciple has become a bit of a religious word. Okay, It's become a word that is so familiar to us that we think we know what it means and we rarely ask the question, what really is a disciple and what does it mean to go and make disciples? And I think it's really important that we ask and answer that question. And we do it biblically. So when I think about this term, making disciples, uh, and I know my mind works in strange ways, but I often think about this, uh, the 1990s cult classic movie, The Castle. Now, <laughs> I don't know if anyone's seen The Castle. There's a few nods. Uh, it's a great movie. It's very funny. And when people talk about discipleship, I often think of this scene, uh, and in this scene, uh, there's, there are two characters, but uh, you have Dennis DeNuto, who is this incompetent lawyer, who stands up in a court of law, and he argues, it's justice, it's Marbo, it's law, it's the vibe. Yeah, that's, that's it, it's, it's the vibe. Uh, that's his argument. Uh, and many of us think and talk about discipleship in the same way. It's church, it's Bible, it's praying, it's serving, it's, it's the vibe. You know what I mean? Uh, and I've been in churches where being a disciple means that you speak in tongues and you sing and experience emotions when you sing. I've been in churches where being a disciple means being a good person and doing the right things and having Christian values. Uh, I've been in churches where being a disciple means you study the Bible and you learn theology really well. I've been in churches where uh, it means feeding the poor and living simply uh, so that you live differently from the culture around you. And all of that means being a disciple. Does that make sense? And uh, it's not that these aren't aspects of Christian living and, and it's not that these aren't aspects of discipleship, uh, but, but we shouldn't treat the word disciple like it's vague and generic and non-specific, like it's everything, like it's the vibe. Does that make sense? Uh, And when Jesus called us to go into the world and make disciples, he actually was really clear and specific about what he meant. And his listeners, his disciples, and other Jewish listeners, they were quite clear about what he meant. Uh, We get confused because uh, we live in a different culture. And we've also had many religious layers put over this word over 2,000 years so that we actually struggle to know what Jesus meant by the term disciple. And it becomes marbo, it becomes uh, the vibe. Does that make sense? Uh, and so we need to rediscover what a biblical understanding is of discipleship so that we can discover what this Great Commission is really about. So let's look at the Greek. Uh, I don't speak Greek. So I'll be perfectly honest, but I've read lots of uh, summaries of people who do. And uh, the New Testament wasn't written in English, it was written in ancient Greek. And so when we read the word disciple in the Gospel of Matthew, 
it's actually the word methetes. And the word methetes very literally is translated student or pupil or learner. Okay? So at face value, to be a methetes or a disciple is to be a learner. Uh, so whenever we see the word disciple in the Bible, we can actually translate it in our mind as learner. But the logical question is, well, it's not any type of learner, is it? I mean, who are we learning from? Well, we're clearly, we are not learning anything. We are learning from Jesus. So we are learning to be followers of Jesus. Again, that's pretty simple. Uh, Alex Absalon says that a disciple is a learner of Jesus, someone who is intentionally choosing to learn from Jesus in every area of their life. Uh, another guy, Hugh Holter from the States, says a disciple is a learner of Jesus who is moving from unbelief to belief in every area of their life. I really like that. There's that heart, mind, soul, and strength. You are learning to go from unbelief in all of your life into belief as a learner of Jesus. But even still, I think there's a problem with this definition of learning. And the problem isn't the word itself. The problem is our cultural and religious understanding and assumptions about what it means to be a learner. You see, Mathetes is not any type of learning either. Uh, and it's not the way we usually think about learning in the West. So in Australia, when we think about learning, this is kind of our default position. We think about reading and writing and studying in a kind of a classroom setting or a meeting or maybe like this from a pulpit. Uh, and that stuff's important. But uh, to be a learner is not just accumulating mind or head knowledge, uh, but that is our default position when we read Learner in the West. Okay, so when we think about concepts and debate ideas, we're actually thinking about learning from a Greco-Roman worldview. So that's the worldview that we adopted in the West from Greece and Rome, uh, which believed in philosophy and, and knowledge and discussion and, and debating of ideas as a form of wisdom. We see this, actually, in, in Romans and other passages in uh, the epistles. Uh, but it's not necessarily what Jesus meant when he meant disciple or learner or mathetes. You see, because Jesus was a rabbi, okay? He was a Jewish man. We have to remember this. And and the way he made disciples, you see it through the Gospels, was actually really, really different from lecture-style learning. He wasn't a classroom teacher. He did preach, and he, but he gave sermons. Even the, the way he spoke was really different. Uh, and his students weren't students in the way we understand learning today. So a, a rabbi would find a worthy person, okay? He would invite them into his life. What would he say to them? Come, follow me, yeah? And then they would leave their home and their work and their family and they would immerse themselves in the rhythms and patterns of the rabbi's life. It was costly. They would have to sacrifice stuff to do it. They would live with the rabbi. They would eat at his table. They would sleep in his house. They would ask questions regularly. They would study the Torah. They would read scripture and discuss it and learn together uh, and while they're studying and memorizing Torah, they're also studying his life, the way he does family, the way he eats, the way he walks, the way he thinks. Uh, it's much more than classroom teaching. It was a life-on-life -life experience that was based on relationship and immersion. Does that make sense? So Mathetes is not limited to learning through ideas and words. It's not just information transfer and getting really smart up here. 
uh, to be a disciple is to model our life on our rabbi's life, to become like our rabbi, uh, to accumulate knowledge and habits and mannerisms and patterns of Jesus as a learner of Jesus. There's an ancient Jewish uh, saying, which I really love, it's a blessing. And the blessing is this, uh, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. That's a great blessing. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And, and this is how close the relationship between a rabbi and a learner or student was. Uh, they would walk so closely to the rabbi, they would, they would be so much lockstep with them that they would get covered <laughs> in the rabbi's dust. That's a beautiful image, to learn to walk in step with Rabbi Jesus, copying his gait, his movements, his ways of living, his cadence uh, in a relationship which is deeply personal so that you become like Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. is isn't just to know the right things up here, even though that's important because we, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, but, but it's much more than that. It's about the heart the mind, the soul, and the strength. It's about all of our life moving from unbelief to belief by apprenticing ourselves to Rabbi Jesus. So it's not a vague idea. It's not the vibe. Uh, it's a way of learning that is caught more than taught, and it involves both the mind, the heart, the body, and the strength. It's life on life. It's not just classroom learning. Uh, it's not just hearing from a teacher, but it's walking alongside of them, being covered in the dust of those you're learning from in, in order to learn from Rabbi Jesus. And for some of us, that may sound really strange and hard to get our head around. You know, how, how can we do that? <laughs> how do we learn as disciples and how do we make disciples like that? Actually, like Jesus did in the Gospels. Read the Gospels and see how he did it. It's exactly what we're talking about with his 12, with the 72. Uh, how do we make disciples on the road in life, uh, in our houses, in our workplaces. You know, just how do we make disciples like that? Um, but that's how Jesus made them. That's how his disciples made them. You see that in the book of Acts. And that's actually how uh, Christians in China and India and uh, in the Middle East, in Africa, are making disciples and making disciples that are multiplying movements. Uh, we've just forgotten in the West what it means to make disciples. And I, I believe that God is calling his church to rediscover his ways. Not just his words, but his ways as well. Uh, and the beautiful thing is, there is a concept that helps us. Uh, I've been, we, in the West, a number of theologians have racked their heads together and like, what is a better word? Because discipleship has become the vibe. How do we help ourselves remember what Jesus meant by rabbinical teaching? And I think the best word is apprenticeship. We're actually called to be apprentices of Jesus. Let me describe what I mean by that. So if discipleship, if methetes means to be an apprentice of Jesus, uh, I'm hearing theologians like Dallas Willard and, and people like John Mark Comer who are popular pastors talking about discipleship as apprenticeship to Jesus. And when you think of an apprenticeship, it's quite close. Uh, a carpenter just doesn't learn at school. They don't just study ideas. They immerse themselves in a process where they become like the master builder. Yeah? Uh, they learn through classroom teaching and they learn through discussion. 
but then they, obs- they observe and they, they give stuff a go and they make mistakes, hopefully don't chop off their fingers or their hands, uh, and they, they get feedback and eventually they become a skilled carpenter. And then what happens once they've become a carpenter? Well, hopefully they, they become an apprentice maker. They bring their own apprentices on, they say, come follow me, they teach them, they show them, and someone else becomes a carpenter. Carpenters who make carpenters who make carpenters. Uh, disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And it's not just tradies. Uh, I used to be a physiotherapist and I learned through apprenticeship. Many of us learn through apprenticeship learning. That's how we learn best, actually, observing, not just hearing. Uh, what I mean by that is I did a year of uh, physiotherapy study. I studied anatomy. I went to lectures. I read books. I learned all about the body and all about the things related to the medical world. Uh, and I had absolutely no idea how to be a physio, but I had a lot of knowledge. But then I went into a hospital and I actually treated a patient and I completely stuffed up. Now, I've told this story in my congregation about how the first patient I ever treated, I tripped over the poor man's catheter uh, twice and uh, in the same treatment. It was, it was a disaster, but, but I realised how bad I was at being a physio and then my lecturer taught me how not to trip over catheters when I walk around a bed. And then I kept going, do you know what I mean? Like you learn, you talk, you act. I copied how they talked to patients and I mimicked it and eventually I became a physio and then I started to train other physios. It's an apprenticeship. Uh, Parenting is an apprenticeship. You don't sit down in a classroom and teach kids how to eat their vegetables. You just do it through life. You teach them how to live and act and walk and be disciplined, uh, life on life. And fascinating actually... When the Apostle Paul uh, moved from Jerusalem to the Greco-Roman world, so from a Jewish context, which understood rabbis and teachers and disciples, to a context that was more like ours, which had no idea, I want to do that. You can run away, if you want to run away, you can do that as well. Um, when, okay, I'm distracted. When Paul was um, moving from a Jewish context to a Roman context, no one knew what he meant by the word disciple. And you see this in the scripture, okay? Because, again, it's not a common term. Uh, and, and so because they didn't know what Methetes was in a non-rabbinical culture, you see Paul trying to wrestle with this idea and how do you take the Great Commission, go into the world and make disciples, in a world that doesn't know what a disciple is? Can you see the confusion? And so Paul changes his language uh, in, in the epistles and in the book of Acts. Uh, the word disciple disappears entirely after Acts 21, It stops being used. And do you know what happens instead? Paul starts to talk about not rabbi-teacher language. uh, He talks about parent-child language. He starts to say in 1 Corinthians 4, you have many tutors, many lecturers, but you don't have many uh, fathers. There are lots of people who will teach you information, but you don't have spiritual parents who will walk alongside of you like an apprentice. Does that make sense? So he's just using different language to explain this same process. Uh, It's easy to find uh, information, especially nowadays on the internet. I mean, I can literally download the best sermons in the world in a heartbeat, way better than I can speak, and get the right information. But it's really hard to find a mentor. It's hard to find someone who loves me, who will walk with me and show me how to take my apprenticeship with Jesus from where it is now to the next step. Does that make sense? Uh, We need that. We need to have disciples who make disciples who make disciples today. Um, so, look, that, that was what I wanted to describe to get back to the Great Commission, and then I'm going to continue. But 
Uh, if we are to make and be apprentices of Jesus, so people who look and act like him in all of life, obeying him in baptism, obeying him in his teachings, uh, then we need to do it his way, not our way. We're going to need to do this together, uh, to make apprentices together. Uh, and the fastest way to grow a disciple is to show them and teach them, not just teach them what it means to live like him. And so if we are to recapture this idea of discipleship as life-on-life learning, uh, we are going to need to be on mission together uh, and, and to be apprentices to Rabbi Jesus together, mimicking his teachings, uh, reading his word, experiencing his spirit together, walking side by side on the road with Jesus on mission together as apprentices and disciple-makers. Just pause for a moment, just think about that idea and then I want to come into land by going back to the passage uh, and just talking about obedience as we move uh, towards communion. Just have a minute to think about that. What does it mean for you to be a disciple and a disciple maker and to have all of life, uh, all of life learning submitted to Jesus? I think, I think what I'm really trying to say is that the how is important, not just the what. Uh, we need to know how, uh, how to read the Word of God, not just that we have to read the Word of God. We need to know how to pray. And I, don't know how, I don't learn how to pray by hearing. I, I, I learn it by seeing. You know, how do we fast? How do we rest on Sabbath? How do we forgive from the heart? How do we not judge our neighbour? Now, how do we put the practices of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus into practice? Uh, how do we obey everything he has commanded us to do? Which is what we see here. Okay, so the end of the Great Commission is an obedience thing to go. It's an obedience thing to make disciples. It's an obedience thing to baptize and to be baptized. And it's an obedience thing to, to obey the commands of Jesus. Uh, and in the West, uh, I think what happens is uh, we need a paradigm shift. That's what I would say. We need a paradigm shift because so much of our way of understanding discipleship is about what we know. Uh, Not exclusively, but so much of what it means to be a disciple is what we know rather than what we do. And I'm not saying we should go to a workspace righteousness and it's all about what we do, but but somehow there's this shift between translating our discussions uh, into activity. And this is what it means to obey. Obeying is not something you know. Jesus is quite clear, actually. The person who obeys is the person who does what Jesus asks. Even if they said, I wasn't going to do it, the one who does it is the one who is obedient. You know, Lord, Lord, when did I not obey you? Well, actually, you didn't put the words into practice. The the, the man who built his house on the rock was the one who put it into practice. It wasn't the one who learnt and heard. You You read all through Scripture. It's really important to obey. Uh, And so I love this quote from Wolfgang Simpson, who is a a church planter in the Middle East. And he says, In the East, we teach people fast, unconditional obedience. But in the West, you have long, slow discussions. And I heard him say that to me a few years ago. And I thought, I got, no, that's not true. But the, the more I've seen my life and how I live, I think it's actually really true, and I think it's really true for so many of us, not just Christians, but everyone in the West. We love podcasts. 
We love listening, we love talking, we love learning, we love blogging, we, we love Facebook messaging, but actually obeying what Jesus says, that's the gap. And that's why we don't make disciples. So I'm not saying we should be anti-intellectual, not at all, but, but we should be very wary about accumulating head knowledge that is beyond our obedience. Jesus is quite clear about that. The danger is that we learn more than we obey. So are we putting into practice all that he has commanded us to do? Uh, so to, f- to finish, in terms of the practical application, before I talk about how it relates to the gospel, because this is all gospel, it's about being transformed in the ways of Jesus. To be a disciple is to be an apprentice who walks lockstep on the road with Jesus in everyday life. But how do we put that into practice? How do we obey all that he has commanded us to obey in this day and age? You know, over the last few years I've met, I've trained more than a thousand people over the last two years and I've seen, like around the world, and I've seen story after story after story of people uh, discipling those into faith who don't yet know if they believe in Jesus, but doing it through obeying. Here's what I mean, you know. I, I get together with someone who is just asking questions about faith, and we read a bit of pas- a passage of Scripture, but not much, just a bit. We ask some simple questions. You know, what does it say about God? What's it say about people? How does it speak to my heart? But then how will you live it out in practice? So not much information, but a lot of application. And I've seen so many people, I've got hundreds of stories of people coming to faith through obedience. Does that make sense? Like, instead of, um, it, how do you live it out this week, and then how do you experience faith through that? And, and I've wrestled with, why are people coming to faith through obedience instead of lots and lots of learning? And, and the, the, the only conclusion I can have is that that is how Jesus commands us and we find him in the obedience. So when people put into practice the teachings of Jesus in their life, even if they have no idea if they actually believe in him, but if they're willing to try his teachings in their lives, you know what I've found is when people start to practice forgiving, they start to realize actually Jesus forgave me of my sins as they forgive their friends. You know, and we see that in the, we see that in his prayer, you know, forgive them as you forgive those who uh, <laughs> I'm trying to go through the passage in my head. But um, our forgiveness is linked with our ability to forgive others. Uh, when people practice giving sacrificially, they start to realize that Jesus gave not just money, he gave his entire life so that we could live. When they start to feed the poor out of obedience, giving money to those who have less than they do, well, then they start to realize that Jesus has made them more rich than they could ever imagine, not just in money, but in life, in, in spirit enjoy does that make sense so so what i think is people's intellectual objections in the west tend to disappear as they obey themselves towards jesus whereas often we think they just need to know more i think what often happens is we just have to follow the great commission and teach them to obey all that i've commanded you to do the question we say to people who are wrestling with faith is, if this was true, how would you obey it this week? How would you live it out? And once you do it, you see that God changes you, and then he changes your heart, and then he changes your objections. So, so the thing I would say is, for us, uh, and I need to wrap up here, how will we obey what we already know? If you don't know if you yet believe in Jesus, well, 
what do you know about him? You probably know that he says, don't judge. So how am I judging people in my heart and being God? Could I release that judgment to God and experience new life? You know, you probably know he says, honor your mother and father. So how might I be honoring and respectful to my mother and father this week and let Jesus heal me, even if I'm not sure if I believe. But that's the same for all of us as apprentices of Jesus. What do we know now that we're not yet putting into practice? Uh, It's not rocket science to say give more than you can possibly give. It's just really hard at the heart level. (laughs) It's not hard to say don't judge, forgive, um, you know, don't worry. Uh, You know, there's so many things that we already know, but we find it so hard to live out in our lives, and that's the gap. So how can we say to Jesus this week, I know that you want me to uh, forgive my enemy. I know you want me to turn the other cheek. I know you want me to uh, put my trust in you. How does it look in my life this week and how can I show others to do the same? Put into practice what you already know and that's what I believe we can do this week to live out the Great Commission. And to conclude, I, I want to be really clear. I'm not talking about moralism. I'm not talking about works-based righteousness. I'm not talking about being a good person or earning our way into God's good books, using our own strength, using our own methods. Uh, we can't build on what Jesus has done. His cross has done everything. We can't even pray without grace. We can't live without grace. We can't change and obey without grace. So it's not a self-help lecture. I'm not telling you to, to obey because you have to or because you're trying to win God's love. That's not at all what a disciple is. Uh, I'm talking about loving adoration expressed as obedience in response to what God has already done in your life. Does that make sense? We obey because we don't have to, actually. We obey because Jesus died on the cross, took away all of our sin, gave us a new family. He sent us his spirit and he said, I will be with you always until the end of the age, no matter what. But because I made disciples and that is the way you live, that's the way to become more like me, that is the way to experience life in its fullness, be a disciple by obeying, And go and make disciples because there is a world out there of people who are hurting in their heart, their mind, their soul and their strength whose lives are not changed and my teachings are life. Not if you know them, if you live them, you become like the man who built his house on the rock. My teachings are life for you as an individual, for us as a community and for our world as we know it. So let's go and make disciples of all nations because Jesus is with us always until the end of the age. He has given us everything we need. Uh, What might it look like to obey what you already know and to let him change your life in response to the grace he has already given us? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, your lordship means that you are our rabbi. Help us to be learners or apprentices of you. Help us to move from unbelief to belief in every area of our life, in our money, our treasure, our time, uh, 
the dreams that we have, the, 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 the way we work, the way we do family, the way we do recreation. Help us move from unbelief to belief in every area of our lives and let your gospel change us and transform us so that we can put into practice and obey all that you have commanded. And I pray more than anything else that you will be with us always to the end of the age, transforming us through your grace and through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.